Hi everyone, you're listening to Guts and Girl Bits. I'm Alison Mitchell, a practicing naturopath, and I hope to share with you all sorts of information about women's health and digestive health to educate and empower you to make informed choices about your own health. Please remember that all information is general and does not replace consulting with a healthcare practitioner. Hi everyone, welcome to Guts and Girl Bits. I'm joined again today with Lisa Costa-Burr and we're going to be talking about thyroid nodules. Mm. <laughs> so we're going to get a bit more specific about this condition, are we? Mm. Yeah, so I'm so glad you're back again. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> I'm so excited to be back. <laughs> God, <I'm> it's enthralling. <laughs> so let's just talk about, you know, thyroid nodules. What actually are they? Mm. So nodules are... Basically, we see in the growth of tissue. Sometimes it's thyroid-specific tissue, but often it's not. Um, forming on the thyroid gland. Yeah. Yep. So they can be quite worrisome for a lot of patients because they're like, oh my God, what are they? But they're not always something that we need to worry about. Yeah, I don't think they're always something we need to worry about. Um, a lot of people have them, and the research shows that I think... Um, 50% of women over the age of 60 have nodules, um, so they are associated with ageing per se, but maybe that's just ageing as a result of increased exposure to oxidative stress and inflammation. Mm -hmm. um, if they're not causing any problems, then I don't see them as being problematic. It's not like you yeah. need to get your thyroid removed just because you've got nodules. Yeah. If of course they're cancerous, then yes. Mm. If they're impacting your quality of life because they're so large that they're impa impacting your ability to breathe or swallow, then you know we need to look at what we can do in more detail there. Yeah, if they're actually occluding your airways mm. or your throat for mm. sure. So you just take it um, on a case-by-case -case basis? Definitely. And I think that's the beauty of naturopathic medicine yeah. that we do look at everyone individually. Yeah. And so you said they're pretty common. They are. Yeah. Where, but whether that's normal or not, I, I think because nowadays we're just faced with so many things that cause inflammation mm. and maybe from a nutritional perspective we don't we're not consuming enough of the foods that provide us with anti-inflammatory support. Mm -hmm. um, maybe that's in part why we're seeing nodules because they shouldn't yeah. really, they shouldn't, I mean, they're a normal thing, but they shouldn't really be there. Yeah. 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 I guess it's one of those things that you don't know that you have it mm -hmm. until you're having a scan because mm -hmm. something else is going on. Mm -hmm. And then if you're generally healthy and well, you're not going to have a scan. Exactly. So you're not going to know that you've got something going on there. Mm -hmm. But, uh, it could still be your body's way of telling you that something something is wrong, mm. but it might not necessarily be giving you symptoms. Mm. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, what are the standard ways of getting it diagnosed? So usually, um, an ultrasound is what most people have. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yep. And then from there, is biopsy usually needed? Only if I think there's if there's concern that they might be cancerous okay yeah yep would it be teamed with blood tests Def 
oh, for me, I think definitely blood tests need to be done, particularly as nodules can have their own thyroid hormone supply. Mm. So sometimes in people that have hyperthyroid, it's actually you know a nodule or two that's producing it's due to a gene mutation, producing its own thyroid hormone supply, which is quite interesting. Yeah. Okay. Mm. So it's like a, a thyroid within a thyroid. Exactly. <laughs> it's pretty cool. Yeah. It's, it's cool well, what cool. the body can do. Interesting, but not <laughs> Yeah. Or for them, it's not cool. It's no. actually quite hot. Yes. <laughs> oh, awful. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So the, th- the thyroid tests would be standard TSH, T3, T4, but also thyroid antibodies would give you a bit really of an indication. Yeah. yeah. Thyroid antibodies are really, really important just to check if the condition is driven by the immune system and it's, you know, autoimmune in which the management is slightly different. Mm-hmm. Um, but T3 is really, really important. Often we, you'll find that endocrinologists and doctors are not testing T3. Mm. Um, and it's really, I can't, just can't emphasise how important it is to yeah. test T3, that TSH in isolation is actually really unhelpful, mm. really, really unhelpful. Yeah. It can be normal for many people with other hormonal imbalances mm. and it changes throughout the day. So. Absolutely, it does have its own rhythm. But just for example, yesterday I saw a patient with TSH of 0.02, and she, you might think, oh, she's hyperthyroid based on that, but actually her T3 was extremely low, and she's got dry skin and fatigue and mm. very, very low heart rate. Yeah. Um, she's actually completely hypothyroid. Her TSH is that way because she's completely stressed out and juggling too much. Yeah. But if we just went on the TSH, you know, would be a mistake to do that yeah so you can really help to categorize people based on like what sort of area their hormones are sitting in like for instance if tsh is high or low or normal and then put that with t3 or t4 whether that's high or low you get an indication about is it a pituitary thing is it a hypothalamus thing is it a thyroid thing is it a stress thing is it an immune thing and then you can find gene recommendations based on that so getting the full picture is so helpful but it is you do have to pay for it yourself if your tsh is normal to go from um, doing normal TSH to then wanting to test your T3, you have to pay for it. Some, I mean, I've got a GP that I work with um, who's really good at testing T3 and T4. But, I mean, I, I think if you've got a history of thyroid disease, for example, if you've got Hashimoto's, if you're on thyroxine, then generally it is covered, is mm-hmm. my understanding. And it's just if you've got normal... TSH and no history of thyroid disease that they won't add in T3 and T4. Okay. Mm. Okay, so that might just be dependent on the person mm. and also the doctor. Mm. And that, I think it really comes down to it's a Medicare thing, so the doctor might want to do it, but they they, don't they might the they might write it down there, but the lab won't do it if the TSH is in within range. Yeah. Mm. So yeah, the the funding just isn't mm. there. There's certain criteria that has mm. to be met for mm. those tests to be under Medicare. Yeah, but mm. as you said, you can definitely order it yourself, and I think it is worth paying. But it's not a huge amount. It's no. definitely worth doing just to see where you're at. Yeah, it's less than fifty dollars, I think. Mm. So, um, from memory, mm. <laughs> might be wrong. Yeah. But it's yeah, it's not terribly expensive. No, mm. I mean I've had a patient that came to me recently who has been suffering from amenorrhea for three years, been diagnosed with PCOS, except when we look at her blood, she's got zero FSH, zero LH. Um, and when I took the case history, I was kind of like, this doesn't sound very PCOS-ish at all. Um, let's test your thyroid. And T3 wasn't tested. TSH was within range when we tested T3. 
not much happening there, really low reading, and so um, that's why she hasn't been getting her period because you need T3 to ovulate. So mm. it's TSH in isolation is definitely not the be all and end all. Yeah. Mm. Anyway, these nodules. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, back to nodules. Okay, so apart from, the, you know, ultrasounds, potentially a biopsy, um, blood tests for your thyroid hormones, are there any other testing that you might consider for someone like in terms of even functional testing, just to get a deeper understanding? Um, well, I know for me, I'm really big on testing insulin mm-hmm. for nodules because there's loads and loads of research now pointing towards insulin resistance as being a driver for nodule growth. Mm-hmm. I think you like to test iodine, don't you? I do. Mm. Yeah, I like to do urinary iodine, particularly um, loading iodine because it gives you a better indication. So there's two options for urine testing for iodine. They've got your spot iodine, which is kind of like just a snapshot and it's easier to do because, you know, you just do one sample of urine. But as a 24-hour loading iodine, you actually need to collect like 24 hours worth of weight. So oh. it's a pain in the bum oh. to do. And you need to be um, – you actually need to take some iodine before then and see how well your body is eliminating it because, like, if it's eliminating a lot of it, then you've got over a decent amount. Mm-hmm. If you're not eliminating it, it's like the body's like, I need this a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, so you need to do that. You need to calculate your creatine, creatinine um, in that too, which is, like, your hydration marker. And then I like to combine that with urinary or blood selenium and also halides um, can be helpful depending on the person. I don't always do it. It's only if I suspect exposure. So halides is a a group of compounds which interferes with iodine. They're like basically molecularly similar. They're in that same group in the periodic table. And it's bromides, fluorides and chlorides is like the main ones. But also arsenic is included in Mm. that too. and that can all be done in a urine test and mm. that could be a potential driver. That's really interesting because talking about bromides, mm. right, bromides, mm. um, they, I remember reading, they're in a lot of um, flame retardants. So yeah. in on doona covers, on the clothes that we, you know, for mm. children, pillowcases and things like that. So mm. we're literally sleeping on stuff like that yeah. for, you know, eight, nine hours every night. Yeah, for sure. That's a lot of exposure, isn't it? Mm, it is. And, like, children's clothing is a big mm. one because, like, children's pyjamas, mm. unless they're certified organic, are actually sprayed with bromide. Ooh. Yeah, which is like, you know, we don't want our children to catch on fire, obviously. <laughs> the likelihood of that happening anyway is not, yeah. it's not high, is you it? You know, um, but new car smell, mm. that's actually bromide you're that's smelling. so interesting, yeah. isn't it? So Gosh. you've got to really air it out. And, you know, if you get a new mattress, mm-hmm. air it out. Like put it – actually – Put it out. I would say put it outside mm. because not just like the bromides and the, and the other halides in there. You've also got all of the other like plastics and other mm. things in there that will actually sort of dissipate with time. Mm. Um, yeah, new carpet. Mm. Yeah. So that may be a really couches, really big contributor to why we're seeing so much thyroid dysfunction in the last you know twenty years. Mm. That it's just ridiculous. I think so. I do. I really mm. do. And like you know, fluoride is another one. We've got mm. so much more fluoride. And I think that we need fluoride in our early years for the normal hardening. Mm. But then when you get older, because we get fluoride through food. We get it in green tea. We get it in certain vegetables like spinach. We get it in bread. Mm. Um, but So we don't need that additional one once our teeth are already hardened and mm. then that starts interfering. Mm. And then um, arsenic is in, like, it's actually in white rice. Yeah, it's in quite a lot of stuff. Yeah. 
Yeah. Mm. Yay. So <laughs> and then chloride. Chloride mm. is in it's in tap water. Mm. It's um, in like pool exposure. People who tend mm. to be in pools quite a lot are often having higher levels of that. But bromide is the one that I find to be the highest in those that I've tested. Mm. So it's a bit fun. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So something for people that have have a thyroid issue or if they have it in the family, something for them to consider to reduce their exposure yeah, yeah for lots sure of things you can change yeah because the bromide and the iodine, like well basically all the halides and the iodine are in that same group so if iodine is subpar and then the other ones are higher then it's going to displace it mm-hmm. but then similarly if we want to get rid of the other ones then we need to bump up the iodine to mm-hmm. create more space Mm, makes sense. Mm. And then you need selenium. Mm, so selenium important. Yeah, it's very important and it's protective against iodine toxicity as well. Mm. So that helps with mercury elimination too. Mercury is another one that's often problematic. Mm. So we can we we tend to get mercury quite a lot through like food, mm. but um just you know, dental amalgams is mm. a source, certain medications contain it. Mm. Mm. So it's so fun. So mm. many chemicals. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, um, and then other, like you can also look at your stress hormones. Mm. You can do that if you want to. Although I'm tending to steer further away from that these days because, like, I, I do like the Dutch test. I think that can be really accurate. But because I'm always conscious of finances and sure. I tend to work with people who don't really have testing in their budget, yeah. I always say that you know we can tell whether you're stressed or not. Absolutely, we're yeah. taking a really good case history. Yeah, you can. Yeah, tell whether someone's having issues adapting to yeah. their stress. You can just figure it out. Mm. Like, you know, do you do you blow up over things that you never used to blow up over? Mm. Like, are you irritable about things that you didn't used to be, or that you like look back on and you go, "Well, that was a bit silly of me, wasn't it?" Yeah. Yeah. yeah, then you're probably a bit stressed. Yeah, when I first was in clinic, and even I mean, I think when we first recorded our first podcast, I was doing a lot of the adrenal cortex stress profile, the salivary testing but yeah i agree now it's something mm. that i can just i can really tell yeah. just by taking just by talking yeah. yeah i mean i still think it's like, it I, its like I wouldn't have ever done a, a cortisol test um or i wouldn't do a cortisol test now if i said, thought that the person wasn't stressed mm. it's more about fine-tuning it mm. and they're going okay so what is your cortisol doing throughout the day mm. and what stage of stress are you in but then where the dutch test is a little bit better than the salivary cortisol test is it actually tells you how your body is coping with that elevated cortisol that elevated cortisol response to mm. and then you get all your other you can tell about your neurotransmitters and your other hormones and other metabolites and nutritional stuff too so that's good but it is expensive mm. so it just depends on how much information you want to know mm. yeah um okay so then that's kind of like the testing options mm. so we've got that information and then that can help us to narrow down then what are the actual causes of the thyroid nodules because like there's five main sources of causes isn't there yeah i mean i'm sure there's there's probably more but the main things i've seen with nodules are the main correlative factors nutritional deficiencies in particular selenium and iodine Mm -hmm. um hormones particularly estrogen as a growth factor so there are estrogen receptors located in the thyroid gland and so again fluctuations with estrogen can cause growth um the what else contributes environmental toxins that we've talked about bpa mm-hmm. etc um and then the big one for me insulin resistance mm. huge i mean it's 
it's something I've looked at a lot. Um, with insulin resistance, if there's lots of studies now showing the we're seeing lots of people with insulin resistance, higher rates of type 2 diabetes, and we've seen this increase in nodules. Mm. And what they've noticed is that a lot of people that have type 2 diabetes and insulin resistance also have thyroid nodules. And when they're given metformin, which is standard medication for insulin resistance, um, it improves insulin sensitivity. When they give metformin in combination, so this is really important because all the studies just say metformin does this, but metformin is given in combination with weight loss, like a diet, a healthier diet and exercise, which resulted in weight loss, what they noticed was that the thyroid nodules reduced in size, thyroiditis decreased. Mm. Um, so basically they can see that high insulin um, increases insulin growth like factor, which increases the thyrocytes, the thyroid cells. Mm. Um, so by decreasing insulin resistance, you see a decrease in nodule size and growth, mm -hmm. um, which is really interesting. That's so fascinating. Mm. So there's links there mm. that previously people wouldn't have really connected. Mm. So this is research has really only come out in the last couple of years. Yeah, it's yeah. very interesting. Oh, brand mm. new. Mm. Yeah, okay. So um, the diagnosis of insulin resistance, what are we looking at? So really easy blood test. Um, first thing in the morning, fasting. Yeah. Um, done it as pretty soon after you wake up. Yeah. And it's that simple. It's free, yeah. <laughs> which is really good. Yeah. Yeah, well, under Medicare. Under Medicare. 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 Um, you know, a few months. Yeah, um, yeah. But insulin is quite useful because the nodule growth can occur not only due to a poor diet, so a, a diet where there's it's it's not blood sugar regu regulating, but you can also see high insulin in conditions where high stress conditions essentially, where the body there's large amounts of sugar being dumped in the body to run away from that stressor, like the lion or tiger. Mm. But what we find is that there's no lion or tiger, so we're just seeing those high insulin levels. So we see that in really stressed out people. You even see it in people with Graves' disease, mm. hyperthyroid. Mm. Um, so they can be having the most beautiful diet, but because their body's in that fight or flight, it's working double time, you will very often see high insulin. So then you see the nodule growth as a result of that. Mm. So, yeah, it's not just diet. It's no. the stress connection. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So in my clinic, I'm looking at those factors and trying to remedy those mm. across the board yeah okay. brilliant so there's so many ways that we can work on stress adaptation mm. maybe we'll do that later <laughs> okay yeah. yeah cool all right and then the inflammation mm. component so what are the major drivers of inflammation for these people nutritional deficiencies and i think we just see thyroiditis in a lot of individuals so with hashimoto's mm. um with Graves' disease, um, with any the nodules, you're seeing that inflammation and oxidative stress, mm. and that's causing the nodules to grow. Yeah. So would things like, you know, you said nutritional deficiencies, but mm. like an inflammatory diet, like high refined foods, junk oh. foods, like yeah. trans fats. Problematic. Sort of well, it's not, you know, it's definitely not going to be 
reducing inflammation or healing the thyroid in any way. In fact, it's going to be doing the opposite. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. What about um, infectious drivers of inflammation? Definitely. So viral infections are definitely a cause of some, you know, thyroiditis. So, yeah, could definitely could be the case. Yeah, okay, cool. Again, I guess with viral infections, if it is like a long-term one like Epstein-Barr or Cytomegalo, we're really thinking that the majority of the population actually has those viruses that aren't, maybe, you know, don't have nodules or Graves' disease. So it's really about, again, improving the overall vitality, the vital force of the mm. person as a whole to dampen down those viruses mm. so that they can't be um, reactivating and causing the problems. Yeah, that's right. So get the gut right, get the stress mm. right, exactly. get the nutrition right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. similar cool. theme, right, for yeah. most yeah. conditions. Yeah, that's it. Okay. What, what's the standard treatment for thyroid nodules for conventional medicine? So for nodules, I think um, generally if they're not humongous or anything like that, then it's just to leave them and mm-hmm. let's see what happens. Um, although some endocrinologists do recommend just getting them out because they feel like they're going to grow bigger anyway, so you should just get them taken out now. Mm. Um, but, yeah, it's really nodules are there, leave them or cut out mm-hmm. the thyroid. Yep. Or just, yeah. Out the thyroid, yeah, <laughs> which is it's, yeah, it's a very it's not what I would recommend unless you know they were mm-hmm. cancerous or something like that or or causing difficulty with breathing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very important so um, you you take a more conservative approach, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I, I guess I take a more conservative approach because I see the way a lot of people struggle when they've had their thyroid removed and trying to get medication dosage. Mm at that right level mm. um, without getting all of the side effects. Yeah. I see them struggle where maybe they didn't need to get it taken out at all, yes. especially now knowing this information with insulin resistance. Maybe if we just change the diet and so on, the doctor to let's just check every six months to see if the nodules have actually grown and maybe they've mm. not and they've actually decreased in size. Well, mm. we don't need to if they're not cancer. Yeah. Just keep going on, along that path. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And... <coughs> In terms of the naturopathic treatment, mm-hmm. so, you know, we've said, you know, we want to be more holistic and mm-hmm. look at all those different drivers, the causes. Mm-hmm. So we're very much about treating the whole person and treating mm-hmm. the cause. So we've talked about the causes already, but then are there other areas that we would be looking at to treat that? So for me, I'm always thinking definitely saturate the body with good nutrition mm-hmm. lots of nutrient dense foods so that there's no nutritional deficiencies if there's causative factor and there we're reducing inflammation too so we're kind of killing two birds with one stone and then you know that same sort of diet whole food very nutritious diet very high in fiber which means it's going to be blood sugar balancing is also going to deal with that insulin resistant component if it is being driven from that perspective mm-hmm. so automatically we're you know, just through making changes with diet, mm. you're making improvements in various aspects of yeah. the case. Yeah. yeah, cool. Okay. Would you <laughs> would you also look at gut health too? Because I know I would. <laughs> yeah, I think gut health is always really, really important. Mm. Um, I think a lot of naturopaths start with the gut. Yeah. In my clinic, I start with stress adaptation. I do things in a different order, and that's only because a lot of the research shows that um, 
when we're in when we're in a sympathetic dominant state, it actually changes the microbiome yeah. considerably. Okay. So, I th- and I but I think we're always working on the gut straight away anyway when we're doing the dietary stuff, right? Yeah. So automatically we're changing the microbiome just by doing that. Yeah, by the foods that we eat and like the way that we're feeding the bacteria Mm. and reducing things that are going to be harmful to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then working on stress. I know I keep I keep going back to it, but there's a really really horrible study I looked at years ago, which they had little mice and they put them on a sandwich toaster. It was awful. I know. Um and. They looked at their microbiome before and then putting them on the toaster was hot and so it stressed them out and it changed it. That just those few seconds of high stress changed the microbiome so there was an increase in pathogenic organisms and a decrease in beneficial bacteria. But I always think about this if we extrapolate to human beings, mm. you know, <laughs> if we're waking up, first. Yeah, oh, thank God we're not being put on the toaster, but, you know, the alarm going off and thinking, oh, my gosh, I've got to unlay or I've, um, I'm, you know, I've got all this stuff to do today. A lot of people go straight into fight or flight. Mm. Physiologically, like, that's it's the same sort of thing. Mm. So yeah. how is yeah. that impacting the microbiome? Because a lot of patients come to me and their diets are meticulous. They're so, they're so lovely already but they haven't got the stress adaption mm. quite right and they're wondering why they've still got a lot of issues. Mm. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the way that we go about supporting that is, you know, herbs. Mm. We can talk about that. Mm. And then some lifestyle stuff too. Mm. Yeah. What's your favourite lifestyle techniques for reducing stress? Um, laughter. Laughter. Yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> just fun. Yeah. Having fun. Mm. For a lot of people that's... When, we, when I ask them in clinic, they kind of become a bit silent because they're not sure what that is anymore. Mm. Yeah, like, what do you mean? Yeah. So Do adults have fun? <laughs> well, hopefully we do. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's good. I think I think that's so important. Mm. So what do you like to do for fun? What do I like to do for fun? I love, <laughs> I like watching... Um, Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> I like looking at memes and funny stuff. <laughs> I love, I actually love TikTok, um, social media. It's all these people da- doing dances to songs for about 30 seconds. It's actually very enjoyable. And then so me and my daughter then try to make up our own oh. dance routines. <laughs> it's music too, which oh, is quite God. funny if you see what I look like when I'm dancing. Um, <laughs> Probably better than me. Oh, I don't know about that. Um, I love reading studies. I enjoy doing that. Yeah. Um, I love cooking. I, lo- I like doing a lot of things. Gardening. Oh, yeah, beautiful. working. I actually like working. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, we are in an industry that is fairly enjoyable. Yeah. We're very lucky. Yeah. So that's, yeah, I, I'm the same. Like, I quite like reading my old herbal textbooks mm. and learning about herbs in more detail and getting to know them and mm. that sort of thing. Mm. Yeah. And at the moment, I'm playing Borderlands 3. Well, that's my favorite PlayStation. <laughs> well, I'm playing it on PlayStation. It's a video game. Mm. Yeah. It's <laughs> very nerdy. Oh, whatever makes you happy. Right? Yeah, whatever floats your boat. Yeah. yeah. And then, yeah, I, I also like the memes. Mm. Do you know, when I was younger, I used to call it mermaids. <laughs> 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 they just my, my my friends I'm used to <laughs> my friends used to just let me do that and then they would laugh at me and I'd be like what what <laughs> yeah so I think you know trying to get more of that in mm-hmm. is really really important and 
know, just seeing the beauty mm. in life. Mm. So, you know, we, sometimes when I'm driving, I'll see a flock of birds and I just think that's really beautiful to see them or if yeah. I'm at the beach and I can see I'm at the dog beach and the dogs are running into the water and they're so happy yeah. about they're chasing the same it's the same ball the person's throwing the ball again and again and they're just so overjoyed about getting that ball and bringing it back and mm. the same same feel yeah. um I just think that's just really beautiful to see how happy oh, they are how. and the more you practice that the more your mind goes to it as well the more you'll see it and the more you'll dwell on that mm-hmm. it's a bit like um like if you were trying to avoid complaining or trying to avoid negative thoughts the more you complain the more you think something negative the more your brain will bring that up for you because it's like i'm just doing what i'm programmed to do mm-hmm. so if you just practice positive thinking and, and thinking about the beautiful stuff and noticing them mm. like when you know you s- smell the roses what, mm. what do they say mm. yeah because i mean i think life's quite good most of the time here it is yeah, yeah here it is definitely <laughs> mm. yeah. yeah yeah that's right okay and so herbs mm. speaking of passions and passions. lovely things <laughs> yes so how do you go about working with our nodules on a herbal level Okay, so as far as I know, there's no studies on specific herbs looking at how they decreased nodule size or incidence or anything like that. So I'm really just using the herbs, um, applying them to the factors that we have discussed in terms of nodule drivers. Mm -hmm. So if we see that insulin resistance is a driver, then I'm doing the dietary stuff to reduce insulin resistance, but I love to use St. Mary's Thistle, for mm. example, which is just so gro- good at improving insulin sensitivity mm. too. Um, it has multiple other benefits for patients, so mm. I, I really like that one. Um, if Because we, we saw that metformin works because at, metformin works at decreasing the size of the thyroid and decreasing the nodule size because of its insulin um, balancing properties then we're using herbs that do that same thing yep. so i haven't used them but hypothetically i assume gymnema would work well yep. um goat's through etc and then stress adaption being a big driver to i'm always using the adaptogens so in a yep. patient with hashies or hypothyroidophania would be a top priority mm-hmm. um but in um maybe a hyper thyroid graves a nerving like lemon balm is where I would go to try and slow down that thyroid function, which in turn would reduce the inflammation, therefore decreasing um, thyroid nodules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And lemon balm having an antiviral component to it as Perfect. well would be indicated if they do have that as part mm-hmm. of their picture. Mm-hmm. That's Great. lovely. And um, things like motherwort, mm-hmm. one of my favourites for supporting in the hyperthyroidism tendencies. It's really good nervine, really good for palpitations mm-hmm. that you often get when you've got an um, overactive thyroid. Mm-hmm. And it's very um, settling. It's quite fast-acting too for the nervous system, which I like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then what about um, nigella? I know you're a fan of nigella. I do. I do like it. Delicious. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> yeah, so very much using it now to support thyroid function mm. for individuals that have Hashimoto's and hypothyroid. Um, I love it actually. Really, yeah. really good there. 
Yeah, and that's actually quite helpful for blood sugar level regulation. I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Great. So that might be one of the mechanisms that yeah. it's acting on too. That's good to know. Yeah, yeah. I actually use a lot of nigella because mm. I love it for its histamine lowering effect. Oh, interesting. So I mean, going off topic, but I love working with like you know clearing the histamine for mm. estrogen dominant mm. issues. But then because there's the histamine estrogen link, the estrogen will be feeding the thyroid. That might be another mechanism behind mm. it as well. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and I now I'm going to talk about saffron because oh. I read a paper today which showed it was just it was in rats, but it was saying that saffron actually decreased histamine production. Oh yeah. histamine release. Well there you go. Oh. <laughs> I'll use that again. <laughs> oh, that's so good. Good old saffron. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, okay. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about or any other you know, stress reduction techniques you might suggest for people? Um, so with nodules, well, stress reduction I think is really important. Um, we've covered some of those recommendations in other podcasts, but yeah. um, I definitely think um, green space and blue space, so water and, mm. and trees and all that sort of stuff is very healing yeah. um, for everyone. Hydrotherapy oh, yeah, um, yeah. has been shown to be very useful for the thyroid gland. Yeah. Yeah, so applying hot and cold compresses to the actual thyroid has been shown yes. to reduce thyroiditis mm. and inflammation, so I think that can be very, very beneficial. Mm. I love, my passion is actually giving my patients really practical, realistic things they can do while they're sitting on the couch at home, mm. um, which don't cost a lot of money, mm -hmm. um, and I guess empower them to take their health into their own hands so they're an active participant in mm. their journey. And I think things like hydrotherapy are great for mm. that reason. Mm. Um, so you're not talking about, like, ice packs with hydrotherapy. You're talking about, like, water-saturated like So they're just using, yeah, yeah compresses, yeah, mm. hot and cold compresses, which is really clever. Mm. Yeah. yeah, very, very old-school naturopathic mm. techniques. Which I love. Yeah. yeah. Nice. The other thing that's been shown to be quite good for, I guess it's not nodules specifically, but for that thyroid autoimmunity or really most autoimmune conditions is in the saunas and infrared saunas. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Cleansing and detoxing yeah, the system. Reducing inflammation considerably. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, you can find a place near you that has an infrared sauna. It's like popping up everywhere, yeah. aren't they? I know some people that actually have got some in their own house. They oh, love it so much. The dream. Imagine that. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. Yeah, and then what about dietary removal of certain foods? Like we know that gluten is often associated with thyroid antibodies. Mm. So is that a recommendation for us? Yeah, it pains me um, to say it. And I guess I think it's an, I'm a little bit – it's hard for me to say it because I still have a little bit of gluten um, and I, I was able to reduce my thyroid antibodies doing it. So I think it always comes down to why has that person got the autoimmune disease in the first place. Mm. But definitely the research shows that gluten-free diet does lead to a reduction in thyroid antibodies. Mm. So, I mean, it does work. It does help. It's not going to be the only thing. Like there's plenty of people on a gluten-free diet and their antibodies don't move. So it's about ensuring that we're doing or we're putting together all the pieces of the puzzle, but yes, it's definitely helpful. It's definitely going to reduce inflammation. Again, I think we need to talk about gluten-free isn't necessarily the healthier diet if you're choosing inflammatory gluten-free products, mm. right? Yeah, what are you substituting it for? Exactly. Mm. So I think maybe unless you're 
you're a celiac, in which case, of course, you're going to remove all gluten. For some people with, say, Hashimoto's, it is a healthier choice to be choosing a good quality sourdough rather than a very processed gluten-free mm. bread that has 30 ingredients in it, including multiple emulsifiers, which we know have been linked to increased intestinal permeability. So it's about being able to decipher when is gluten-free not actually the healthier mm. choice. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um. And so gluten-free, I think it's just going to reduce inflammation if it's done properly. Yeah, and you don't substitute it for something junky. Exactly. So lots of fruits and veggies, lots of herbs and spices, um, lean proteins, mm -hmm. and if we're choosing animal proteins, using um, grass-fed rather than grain-fed because they've been shown to have a different omega profile, mm -hmm. um, which is less inflammatory. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Great. So I think that's pretty much it, isn't it? Mm. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> thank you so much. My pleasure. Yay! <laughs> All right, thank you everyone for listening. Um, please leave us a review on iTunes and subscribe if you haven't done so already. And if you've got anything that you would like to learn about for the future, just send us through a message. <laughs>